You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Stephen touched on, you know, people are on vacation, and uh, even though we try to keep the cage locked and Pastor Hub in it, sometimes he's, he escapes for a few days to get uh, get some rest and relaxation from his flock, so uh, this weekend of the year is uh, one of those times that he always uh, goes down to the beach for a few days to, to rest and relax, so... Um, as he does take vacation or somebody gets a word, uh, we're just, uh, so pleased as a church that there are several people in here that, uh, uh, get a message and, uh, are able to deliver. And, uh, today's no exception. Uh, we love hearing them. Let's welcome Josh to give his sermon. All right. Good morning. So everybody knows what this is, right? Does anybody know what the acronym for this is? Awesome. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. All right. So just like an instruction manual, guys get furniture from IKEA. I know it's not the best instruction manuals. Some of them are written in Chinese and stuff like you can understand them. But you get instruction manuals. Now, us men, I feel, you know, we don't need the instruction manuals. We look at it. We're like, we got this. We put that together. You know, we go to lay the kids in the crib or something like that, and they fall through. And we're like, hold on, I forgot a screw. But the instruction manuals are there to tell you how to put something together, how to do it. Just like the Bible. The Bible is an instruction manual things that we do. Often, too often, it doesn't work out if you read the instruction manual and then you just let the stuff lay there and hope that somebody else comes along and puts it together or it puts itself together. Same way with the Bible. You can't just read the Bible, take the words in, and do nothing. You have to act upon the words that we have. We are to take action. We can't just... We can read the Bible, and we can learn from it what was done in the Old Testament and what was done in the New Testament to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. But unless we put those things into our life, they're just meaningless words. It's just like reading a a nighttime story to your kids. You know what I mean? It's only there for... um, educational purposes and entertainment. That's it. But Colossians 3.23.24 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Everything we do in our lives is to serve the Lord. It's to advance his kingdom. It's to bring others to know him, to know 
what he does and what the Bible says. Ever since creation, God has given people to work to do. In the beginning, when he created the earth and he created Adam and Eve and all the animals, he told Adam and Eve to take care of his earth, to take care of the animals. He didn't just say, here you go, it's yours, have fun. Then, when sin came into our lives, he gave us farmers and herdsmen and stuff like that. He told us, take care of my flock. um, Toil the land and produce vegetables and stuff like that. It was work that we had to do. If we wouldn't have done that work, we would have starved. We would have not had animals to sacrifice to the Lord to give, you know, sacrifice for our prayers and stuff like that. The same goes for today. If we can regard our work as an act of worship or service to God, no matter what we do, no matter if you're a mechanic, if you work in the office in customer service, if you're an electrician, no matter what you do in life, any job that you have, if we work as it's a worship and a service to God, it'll change our attitude on our work. I know with me at work, I love my work. I love doing what I do. I love running the crane. I love cutting down trees and, you know, having to figure different stuff out. I also know that I work with a lot of guys that get on my nerves. I have to continuously remind myself that this is a job that I love to do, so I need to do it in a way that will fulfill my happiness but also serve the Lord. If we do that and we change our attitude about work, it will, it will change our attitude and not make it such a drudgery and a boredom to go to work. We'll want to get up and be like, yes, I'm going to work today. Let's see who I can talk to today about the Lord. Let's see how I can advance his kingdom. We could work without complaining or resentment if we would treat the challenges related to our jobs as a part and a cost and privilege of being Jesus' disciples. If we have people in our work that other people are complaining about because, you know, they're either talking gossip behind our backs or they're not doing something right, and we approach those people with a loving heart that God has given us and try to speak to them about Jesus and what the Bible says about their attitude and actions and stuff like that, in a loving way, it will make our life and our jobs more enjoyable. In Deuteronomy, which is the Old Testament, 1, 6 through 8, it says, The Lord our God said to us in Herob, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Take and take, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites. See, I have set the land before you. Go and take possession. The Lord commanded the Israelites to take possession of the land that was promised to them. Do you you see those wordings there? Take possession. He didn't just say go and settle. Go here and live. They were to take it. They had to put some kind of action into getting that promise of the Lord. It wasn't just given to them. They had to travel. They had to face enormous challenges in their journey. It wasn't just a straight path, you know, you're going to go 30 here for 10 minutes, you're going to get off at the, you know, the Centerville exit, make a left, and right there's your land. It wasn't that. 
They had to travel. They had to go over mountains and through rivers and everything. It was work. Then when they got there, they had the Amorites to deal with. They couldn't just go in and be like, hey, this is our land. Um, here's your eviction notice. You can leave now. God said this is ours. They had to take possession. So more than likely there were battles. They had to force the Amorites out or find a hospitable way to live with them. They weren't just given the land. It was also a new land. More than likely, it wasn't the same kind of topography that they had. So they had to adapt to the land. Okay, can we, can we grow our sheep here? Can we grow our cattle here? You know, do we have to adapt? Okay, maybe we need to get goats or something like that because it's a hilly country. Same thing with the plants that they're, the crops they're producing. You know, is this soil good enough for this crop or do we have to change what we, what we grow? So they had to adapt to the situation. When God's called us to a new task, we need to break camp. We need to break inertia, and we need to engage in the challenges that come. God's going to give us anything that we ask for. He tells us in the Bible, you know, ask and you shall receive. We have to believe. We have to have faith. But he's going to give it to us. If it's in alliance with his word, we will get it. However... Not every job is going to be straight and simple. You're going to go in there and you're going to love your job. There's not going to be any challenges. You know, we live in a world today where there's a lot of unbelievers. They don't believe in, you know, Christ or the Bible or God at all. So they're going to be trying to influence our lives. And we can't allow those challenges to change how we act and how we treat our lives. We need to adapt to change. We need to find ways to get along with them and yet not risk our salvation to that. God requires us to do our part as he fulfills his promises to lead, guide, and provide for us. We still have to do our part. He can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Has anybody ever heard that phrase? It's so true. You know, We can tell our children what to do and how to live their life, but we can't make them live the way we want them to. All we can do is teach them. They have to take, put it in action. And believe me, you know, we try as hard as we can to teach our kids the right way. We watch them grow up and try to form them into the humans, the adults that they should be, God-fearing and, you know, God-loving however we can't. And since I think it was like maybe the 50s or 60s, for some reason the government said we're not allowed beating our kids. So, I mean, it made it a lot easier back then for parents to teach their kids right and wrong. You know, you had that little fear in there, but we can't do that anymore. So we have to go to God and we have to pray and pray and try and just talk to them and explain to them what to do. More importantly is we need to pray and then also be role models for them. As we live our life, they see what we do and how we live and the rewards and the consequences we get from our actions and they learn from that. Second Chronicles 31.21 And in every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, 
he did with all his heart and prospered. They're talking about Ezekiel here. And because Ezekiel did what was pleasing and good in the sight of his Lord, God, he led the people of Judah in spiritual renewal. He didn't just do what he thought was needed. He didn't say, hey guys, you know, listen, we got to follow God. This is what we got to do. And we go. He did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord. More than likely, he prayed. And once he got an answer through prayer, he acted on that answer from God. He didn't just pray to God. God told him, okay, listen, this is what I want you to do. And then sit back and say, okay, well, you told me what what I need to do, so we're just going to see how it goes. His actions can serve as a model of renewal for us. One, he remembered God's compassion. If we have co-workers that get on our nerves and stuff like that, it's too easy for us to lash out at them or ignore them or, you know, go to HR or something like that and be like, hey, this guy's not working out. He's sleeping at his desk. You know, no work's getting done. I'm doing half his work for him. We have to have compassion. First, we should go to that person and act upon our compassion and explain to them, hey, this is what you're doing. This is how it's affecting everybody else. Yeah, you're having a nice nap over there. And by the way, um, you might want to get that snoring checked out. But, you know, we need you to step up. He had compassion. He kept going despite being ridiculed. We can't allow peer pressure and people in our lives to say, oh, you're never going to get anywhere if you do it that way. If that's the way God is telling us to do it, we have to continue going that way. God's not going to lead us astray. He aggressively removed evil influences from his life. Do you understand that? He removed evil influences from his life. If there's something in our lives that are taking our attention away from God and what God wants us to do, we need to remove them. More than likely, it's put there by Satan to distract us from doing what God wants us to do. He interceded for the people, asking for the Lord's pardon. How do we intercede to God for other people? Through prayer. So he prayed for others. He didn't just say, okay, you know, they're going to do what they want to do. I'm going to let them live their life. He prayed. And the only way to change somebody's life, if they won't listen to you, is pray. God will do it. God will find a way to put something in their life or someone in their life to help them change their ways. He was open to spontaneity in worship. I know I'll drive down the road sometimes and I'll hear a really good song and all I want to do is sing it. You know what I mean? Spontaneity. If you're, if you're in the middle of, everybody hear the, um, the old, I forget what it was, nursery rhyme or whatever, I'm working on the railroad, whistle while you work. You know what I mean? Anybody ever go to work and all of a sudden be in the middle of a project and just start, yeah, Lord, here we go, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You got to be, you got to be, you got to be open to spontaneity got to have fun at your work. Also, while praising the Lord. 
and he contributed generously to God's work. Generously. He, didn't, he wasn't like, you know, okay, God, well, you want me to do all of this? Okay, yeah, I'm just going to do this part over here. I feel comfortable with this. This is what I'm going to do. No, he generously did it. What do you want me to do, God? All this, I got it. It might take me a little bit, but I'm going to get it done. If we want to long for renewal in our lives, in the church, and our community, we need to consider how we can model our life after Ezekiel. That's, a part of, that's the part of reading the Bible, reading the story of Ezekiel, seeing what he did, and then just being like, oh, so that's how he did it? Oh, that's, that's cool. Wow, I think I might be able to do that. No, we need to read it and then put it into practice. Do it in our lives. It might take, you know, nobody learns anything overnight. When we were in school, we didn't learn how to do multiplication and stuff overnight. It wasn't like the teacher told us, okay, 4 plus 4 is 8, you know, 4 times 4 is 16, and all of a sudden the next day we're like, oh, yeah, teach, I got that, 4 plus 4 is 8. No, we had to learn it. The same thing with social studies and history and stuff like that. It took, I mean, if that was the case, we would all go to kindergarten, they would teach us everything that first year, and then we would graduate. But we had 12 years. Some of us, you know, got held back a year or whatever. Might have had to do 13 or 14. But, you know, we got there. It takes a little longer. And then the really, the really smart ones, the really ones that were really invested, they said, okay, listen, I'm going to take this up a notch. I'm going to college for four more years. I really like this. They, they, were, they were smart, but I don't, I don't think they were that smart. John 13, 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What did I say there? You will be blessed if you do them. It doesn't say now that you know these things, you will be blessed because you heard them. We have to do them. Earlier in this passage, if you read John 13 you'll see that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He didn't just explain to them what he was, you know, that process or anything like that. He actually did it. He wanted to be an example for them after he was gone. Jesus didn't wash his disciples' feet to get them to show greater hospitality to each other. His far greater goal was to extend his mission on earth after he was gone. You know, easily he could have been like, okay, guys, this is what you got to do. So if you want others to be nice to others or be in service to others, you're going to tell them to go in and get a basin, tell the other person to sit down, you're going to take a rag and some soap, and you're going to wash their feet, and, you know, that's going to make them feel really good, you know. Or you can go down to Lancaster City here and go to that little day spa and have somebody else do it for them, you know, pay for it. You don't got to do it. No. He told them, to do it. He showed them what they had to do. His far greater goal was to extend his mission on earth after he was gone. These men were to move into the world serving God, serving each other, and serving all people to whom they would take the message of salvation. Everybody. Not just a selected few. He didn't say, hey, just, you know, go to your family and make sure they're right with the Lord, and then you're going to be good. No, they were to go throughout the earth, to the ends of the earth, 
teaching and making disciples of the nations. Everyone. So whether you're walking into the store and you see somebody and you just say, hey, how you doing? And then strike a conversation to minister to them. Whether it's on how we act when we're in that store, how we're hospitable and respectful to the clerks and stuff like that. You know, we're holding open a door for somebody or something like that. It's our actions that show others how we live and what we truly believe and who we follow. James 1, 23 through 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. It is important to listen to what God's word says. But it is much more important to obey it and do what it says. Lots of, uh, a lot of us can read the Bible front to back. I've written this thing about five times. I know almost everything this Bible says. I'm learning something new every day. But reading this Bible is not going to do anything for me unless I put it into action. I can read a cookbook forward to back. You can ask my wife, I cannot cook. I don't cook because I can't cook. I think I burn water if I had the chance. But if you take a cookbook and you get all the ingredients and you do exactly what it says, a quarter tablespoon of butter, half a, half a cup of flour and stuff like that, whatever that cookbook shows you, now don't get it, don't get it twisted. The pictures in that cookbook is not what your food is going to look like. No matter how hard you try. Unless you go to culinary school and stuff like that, it's not going to look like that. But it will taste like that. It's the same thing with the Bible. If you do everything in this Bible correctly, no, you're not going to be like Jesus, and you're not going to be martyred like Jesus and have a complete life like Jesus, but it will be very close. You will have salvation that Jesus died on the cross for us to have. You will be in heaven with Jesus and God in the end. You will have eternal life. We can measure the effectiveness of our Bible studies by the effect that it has on our behavior and our attitudes. If we are reading the Bible and doing everything it says, we will see a change in our attitude and our behaviors in our life. We will, and others will see it also. It's not just going to be us and our close family that's going to see it. Others will see it in our workplace, in, you know, the gym that we go to, you know, the softball team we play softball on. You know, anywhere we go, people are going to start seeing, hey, Josh is a little different this week. You know, I wonder, I wonder what he's been doing. They might even come up and ask you, hey, I see, I see you've been, like, you know, acting a lot cheerier this week and stuff like that. What's going on? Well, I started putting, putting into practice what I read in this thing here. And it's changed my life. Well, well, well when did you start to do that? Oh, it's, it's been years, but, you know, it started working out. So it's not something that will just happen overnight. No, we have to put it into practice. And in that, we need to act or ask ourselves, when we read this, a lot of us are in the Bible study now, reading the Bible study. 
in the New Testament. How many of us are putting into action what we're actually reading? Or are we reading it because, you know, we're part of the Bible study, we just want to, you know, we want to be a part of the group. Everybody else is reading this book, that's what I'm going to read also. Are we doing it just to be a part of the group, or are we doing it to advance the kingdom and to better ourselves to be able to advance the kingdom? James 2.18, a little bit further in James, it says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. At first glance, these verses seem to contradict what Paul was saying in Romans 3.28. We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. However, if you dig deeper into this, it shows you that the teaching of James and Paul are not at odds. While it is true that our good deeds can never earn our salvation, true faith always results in changed lives and good deeds. As we read the Bible and we put it into practice, our attitudes and our actions start to change. It starts to get in line with more of what Jesus and God wants us to do in our lives. While it is true, yeah, loving service does not substitute for faith in Christ. Just because we go and do all these things for people, you know, I go over to my brother-in-law's house and I help him build a fire because last time he almost blew himself up with gasoline, doesn't mean that I'm going to be a really good brother-in-law to him. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that I'm going to go to heaven because I saved his life from possibly blowing himself up. Just because I go to work and I work my butt off and stuff like that does not mean I'm going to go to heaven. Just because I walk out of here and I tell somebody, hey, you should really read your Bible. It's going to save your life. And then I move on. That doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. I have to have faith in God and what I'm telling these people that it's actually going to happen. It's actually true. Paul speaks against those who try to be saved by deeds instead of true faith. James speaks against those who confuse mere intellectual assent with true faith. People, there's atheists that will read this thing here, that will read the Bible to try and contradict Jesus. They know this thing probably better than some pastors, front to back, and yet they don't have faith in the Lord. They're not going to be saved. Yes, they know this. They can tell you every word. You know, page 323, chapter 4, verse 17, it says Jesus wept, but that's not getting them into heaven. After all, even demons recognized who Jesus was. The demons, as soon as Jesus came up and started talking to someone, the demons started wiggling, you know, inside this guy's body because they knew who he was. They knew his power, but they didn't obey him. Just because you read the Bible and you know every word in it, unless you obey, you act upon this, his word, and you do what his word says, does not give you salvation. True faith involves a commitment of one's whole self to God. You know, not just our time reading the Bible, but giving ourselves over to God, doing 
what advances his kingdom, doing what brings others to know him. In conclusion, as we've seen through scriptures, God does not want us to be idle bystanders in this life. We're not to just live our lives, you know, day by day and just, you know, go through the motions until finally Jesus comes back to earth. The harvest is ripe, everybody's coming in, Jesus comes back, and okay, now we get to live our real life. He wants us to do our part in advancing his kingdom. How are we to do that if we just merely attend church and read our Bible? I'm pretty sure that in your job, if you just went to your job on, say, Monday, and then you took off the rest of the week, and then just came back on Monday again to do, you know, whatever you had for that day, you're probably going to end up losing your job. I'm not saying that if you don't, that if you just come to church on Sundays and live your life that you're going to hell. You're not. If you believe in Jesus and you believe in God, and you trust him, and you put your faith in him, you're going to heaven regardless. He wants us to do our part in advance kingdom. How are we to do that if we just merely attend church and read our Bible? We are to spread the word of God to the corners of the earth and to share Christ with others. This week has been really weird for me. Well, actually, the past couple of days. Um, I do estimates at work Fridays and Saturdays usually. You know, I go up, I look at the property. Sometimes I talk to customers about what they want to do. Okay, I'll write it down. Here you go. If you want us to do it, sign a wake up and send it in. I'm on my way. I talked to two different customers this week for probably about a half hour or so about God and church. I told the one my story on how I got saved and, you know, my addictions and stuff like that. And he, he actually texted me this morning before church and said, hey, I'm praying for you that, you know, your sermon goes good, you know. May the Lord be with you and stuff like that. Two different people. I've probably talked to two more people this week in the past two days than I've talked all month while I was doing estimates. So God's working in my life because through doing this sermon, I've realized that, yes, I was doing some things for God to advance his kingdom. However, I wasn't doing everything to advance his kingdom. We should be praying every day that God gives us that opportunity and then strengthens us with his courage to do so. Every morning we wake up, we should be like, God, who are you going to put in my life today? What do you want me to do for you today? And then give me the strength and the courage to do it. Because a lot of times God will put stuff in our lives, tell us things that he wants us to do, and when that time comes, we're like, well... You know, I really got to go over to my brother-in-law's house and help him out. Or I got to go to my sister-in-law's house and help her out. Or I got to go to my friend's house and help him out. So I can't really do this right now, God. But I'll bet you if you explain to them, hey, God's calling me to do this right now. I'm sorry. Can I come over later and help you? I got to do this right now. If they're true believers, they're going to be, yep, go do it. I'll see you when you're done. We have to have that courage that no matter what God's telling us to do, we have to step out of our comfort zone. we got to get real. This is, this is our eternal life here that he's asking us to work towards. Many of us want a new house and, 
you know, we do everything we can to get this new house. We go to, you know, a realtor and say, okay, hey, what do I need down payment wise? You know, then we go to the bank and we get this loan and everything like that. We do everything we can to get this house that's just going to last us for our 70, 80, 90 years on earth. Why wouldn't we put all that effort and that energy into confirming our eternal life with Jesus? Doing everything that we needed to do to obtain that eternal life. Every person that we speak to should be an opportunity to advance God's kingdom. No matter what the situation is. More than likely, there's going to be something. If you talk to somebody for long enough, there's going to be an opportunity to express your love for Jesus, your love for God. And mine was talking about a tree and how God made the trees and how they strengthen them and stuff like that is what got me and this other customer on conversations about Jesus and belief and where we go to church, you know, and stuff like that. It was a simple thing about that's a simple phrase. It wasn't even an intentional phrase. The customer was asking if this tree was strong enough, and I was like, yeah, God made it this way and put these other trees here because of this. And then we started talking about church. If I wouldn't have said something like that, I would have never had that opportunity to speak to him about God, about my belief and my story. So in conclusion, I would like us all to try and, while we read the Bible, no matter if we're only reading a chapter or two, try and find something in there that God wants us to do, that we can put into practice in our life, and then do. Do what it says. Put it into practice. And see, personally, we're, we're not going to come in here in a couple weeks and be like, hey, by the way, you know, I started doing this, this, and this, and this has changed my life. That would be an awesome testimony. But take a moral inventory or a personal inventory of our lives each week and say, hey, since Josh spoke and I started to do what the Bible says, God has done this in my life. And I can guarantee 100% that if we start practicing what the Bible tells us, and we start applying this to our life, our lives will be changed. Some of those sinful things or those negative things in our lives that we've allowed to stay in there will be cast away. God will remove them from our lives because we are doing what he wants us to do. If we do this, Satan no longer has a hold on us. Satan can no longer influence our lives. Yes, he will still try, believe me. Ever since we started bringing this 100,000 harvest into the church, Satan has been attacking the elders and other members of this church more now so than ever. Doing this does not, neglect, not, not negate you from negative things in your life. However, it will strengthen you to be able to deal with those things. It will give you the power and the motivation to do things to change that in your lives. All I'm asking is that we stop being a church that listens to the pastor when he's up here speaking or others when they're up here speaking, and we start putting this stuff into action. We start taking charge of our lives and taking action in our lives. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.